Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Sometimes, with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest, Elizabeth Morris. Hello. Hello. It's great to have you here. And when when I say that, I mean in the same room. I do so many over Skype that I rarely get to see who I'm talking to. Um, So, welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And just to give people even more context, we're in the same part of London, so it seemed even more stupid not to do it face-to-face. Literally, five-minute walk. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So, we've not come to talk about the geography of London and where we all live. No. We've come to talk about your new movie, Killers Anonymous. Yes. So, before we go into the details about that, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what it is? Yes. So, uh, Killers Anonymous is a psychological thriller about a group of professional contract killers who congregate in this church basement every so often um, to take part in a group which is very much like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but Mm -hmm. for killers. And uh, they discuss their urges to kill again. They want to repent their sins. And on one particular night, a US senator is is shot. And between them, they have to figure out who did it. It's that sort of whodunit Mm -hmm. type scenario. And um, yes, all is not as it seems. Now, you co-wrote this yes. and you star in it. Yes. Which is uh, all-encompassing. It is very all-encompassing, yeah. So before we do the latter, <laughs> let's do the former. Okay. And actually, before we do all that, let's tell people then. So it's available now. Yes. And people can see it how. It is on available on Sky, Amazon, I believe, iTunes. It's actually currently, I think, at number five on bestsellers on iTunes, which I'm very pleased about. You must be. You yes. must be. Film of the week last week. Um, and all major, all major download platforms. Brilliant. Yep. And um, it's worth also mentioning it stars quite a few familiar faces. Yes, we have uh, Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. uh, Jessica Alba, mm-hmm. Tommy Flanagan, Mayanna Buring, Tim McKinney. Yeah, we've got a there's a host of some really and Elizabeth Morris and Elizabeth Morris, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> right, and so so starting from the beginning as the co-writer before we get to when mm-hmm. you're in front of the camera. How does a nice young woman from Gloucester end up getting involved in writing about contract killers? So, uh, about eight years ago, I moved to London mm-hmm. uh, with the intention, actually, of doing musical theatre. So I trained in musical theatre. And I'd been in London for a couple of weeks, started working as a runner on things like short films, uh, film promo pieces, things like that, and instantly really fell in love with the whole the film world. And... Film and writing wasn't really something that I'd ever considered at that point. It sort of felt very beyond my reach. It it felt quite alien. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, through friends of friends, it was, oh, you know, come and work on on this set and make the tea. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I did. And um, it was there that I met Martin Owen, who is the director of Killers Anonymous and my co-writer. 
And um, pretty soon after that, we actually ha we had a conversation about writing. He asked me if I write, and I've always written. So I said, yes. He said, do you write, do you, do you write films? And I said, yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't. Uh, I learned. So I learned how to, I mean, just the very basic thing of what do you write a film on? Why did you learn the never say no bit? <laughs> that, do you know what? I, I've never actually been very... Before that, hadn't been very good at that. There was just something in me that thought, I really, this is one of those moments where you yeah, just yeah, yeah. say yes. <laughs> okay. So I did. And I think because I knew that writing was something that I I could do as a as a creative skill, I guess, I thought, well, you know, how how hard can it be to write a film? <laughs> Little did I know, it's Screen really hard. So... Um, we actually started talking about ideas together, like, you know, story ideas and things. And then, um, yeah, we started writing, playing around with some ideas. And a producer had come to Martin with an idea that he'd actually, I think he had raised finance for this independent film mm -hmm. based on a title and the concept that it would involve um, reality stars. So this is back in 2012. I okay. think when the reality TV thing was kind of really starting to emerge. Right. And it was a concept, it's called LA Slasher, set in LA, about a serial killer going around Los Angeles killing reality stars. So Martin said, look, I've got to, I'm writing Public this. Service, then. Exactly, exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> a concept I believe, you know, write what you believe in. And uh, so I... He said, is that something that you'd be interested in, in writing with me? Because obviously, as a sort of 20-something-year-old girl, reality TV was probably more my my thing. I mm. knew quite a lot about it. And so we started writing together. And then uh, about, uh, I'd say, a year, a couple of years after that, we were over in L.A. shooting the thing. So that was the first feature that I'd ever, A, written, and B, worked on, right. and C, acted in. So I was sort of doing all, all, cool. all the bits. And in that film there is a standalone scene where the serial the the main killer la slasher it's he goes to this this group and it's like an alcoholics anonymous group and he turns up and in the in la slasher the the scene is very tonally completely different to killers anonymous it was mm -hmm. very satirical very sort of dark neon noir kitschy dark comedy type vibes but as a scene, it was something that Martin and I always wanted to revisit. We really liked the idea of it. We liked, you know, we thought it had legs to sort of stand on its own as a feature film. So, cut to about six years later, I was in Africa, actually, at the time, teaching kids art, because I decided to go and take a, take a break and okay. go and do, do that, because I hadn't done that, the whole travelling thing before. Right. And I got a call from Martin to say, you know, we'd, we'd done a couple of films since then, but he said, um, we've had some interest in, in Killers Anonymous. I was like, oh, okay, because at that point it felt like so long ago. Um, but as I, whilst I'd been away, he'd been talking to people and putting a, a treatment together for the, for the feature and working with Seth Johnson, who's the um, other writer on it. And he said, do you want to come on and, and write with us and turn it into a feature? And I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. So... That was about three years ago, and then here we are. And how and how does it work then in terms of three people writing a screenplay? What what's your relationship with Martin, and then how did that work with? So Seth? 
Martin and I have written together now. It's been about eight years now that we've written together. We must. I sure. think we've done about five scripts together in total, three of which have been made. There's another one that's sort of in the kind of in that pre-production process. Yeah. Um, and the way that Martin and I have always written together has been very often that we're, we're not in the same room. So we'll um, Skype or we'll call or we'll email. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll get together and, and kind of, you know, discuss the, the main bulk of the script and what where we're going to go with it. Got you. And then in, but in terms of the physical sitting in front of a laptop and writing, Martin's way of writing is, you know, what he needs in a room with him compared to me is actually very different. So we sort of complement each other in that way, but we can't be physically to get together so to what, do so, it. So rather than tell me so, what he wants, tell me what you have in the room that he couldn't work with. Silence. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I, well, either silence or music that A, has no words, and B, relates to what I'm writing. So for instance, if I'm writing an animation, I'll have maybe the... Pixar, Pixar score or something, you know, no, because no, it no, really I creates those. Thing. Yeah, it really creates those images in your mind, and it helps you to kind of stay focused. Um, and yeah, get a bit more, get a bit creative. But sometimes, when it comes to that sort of what I call the mathematical equation part of writing a script, where you know you have to change one thing because a producer wants you to change one thing, and it ends up actually the pebble hitting the, the water. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the domino effect throughout the whole script. Yeah. Sometimes then I really need silence because you really have to figure it out very methodically and kind of mm. go, hang on, because that affects that and that affects that. So you really need to know what you're doing. Whereas Martin, is, um, he needs noise and he needs things going on. He needs, you know, and that's where he gets his creative okay. flow from. So very, very different in terms of how okay. we write. But then with Seth, so actually in the whole writing process of Killers Anonymous, I never once was in the same room as Seth. I believe Martin and Seth were. Right. Um, but Seth's actually based in LA. Right. I'm London, obviously. So, yeah, we were never actually in the same room. But, again, these days with things like Skype and FaceTime and email and all of that, you can, you don't, you don't need, I don't think, or in my experience, you don't need to be in actually in the Ge same room. Geography aside, mm. what are the challenges when three heads are writing one script for you? What do you think is the... Um, it's definitely different to when it's just two of you. Right. And it's certainly different to when it's just yourself. Yeah. Um, challenges, I guess there's the difference in opinion. You know, if you're just working with one person, you can sort of hash it out and come to the agreement Got between you. the two of you. Whereas if it's three of you, um, it, I, I guess it's more that it just takes longer to come to the final decision of what we should do. Yeah. Um, Was it iterative? Did you kind of write drafts? Seth, you have a look. Martin, you have a look. Yeah, Elizabeth, for, you know for sure. Look. And I think there's also certain certain elements that each of us would focus on more. I'm okay. very much... Um, You're the serial killer expert. Then. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually... it's. It, I just gave them my diaries. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an original idea from me. No, it was... I very much, um, in my writing, I like to focus a lot on relationships. I... Um, I've heard that a lot of writers don't enjoy writing dialogue. I love writing dialogue. Mm -hmm. I love writing conversations between characters. Um, I love all that kind of stuff. And I know that a lot of writers don't. So that's sort mm. of, um, you know, or I would be given a, okay, in this scene, given the bullet points, right, go and write that scene and flesh it out and bring it to life. Yeah. And... I think in that process with Killers Anonymous, that was probably 
where my writing really kind of um, came alive. Yeah. One of the challenges I found with um, with sort of co-writing is that is not is that bigger thing about joining up. You know, obviously mm. there's the pebble effect of someone asking you to change significant detail and working out what it is. Yeah. But then if you're writing, if you're writing the fight scene and Martin's writing the the opening scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's something in the set yeah. to be paid off. Yeah. Well, I think that with with things like that, <coughs> we would we would generally, before any one of us would go off and write that scene, mm-hmm. in general, I think it was there was a decision made on exactly what happens in that scene. But even then, even then, for sure, mm. certain things can definitely have. Oh, that doesn't doesn't work in that because later on this happens, or you know, it can be anything like a line that that one of the characters says. Well, you can't say that because they've just contradicted themselves in this. You know, you, and, and it, it does. It becomes. It, it can become really complicated. No, it's a bit, It's definitely a Rubik's cube. Yeah, for sure. I don't think people for sure. Appreciate that. No. So you are in this film as well as co-writing the film. Yes. So you take off your writer's hat. Yeah. And you turn to Martin. You go right, Martin. Direct me now. <laughs> yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah, um, pretty much. I think. Again, it's been because we've we've done that together now for years, so we sort of have the way in which it, it it works. And there is that, I would say, I take the writer's hat off to maybe just it's balancing just on the on the edge of my head because yeah. it is always still there. You know, when it gets to when it gets to when we get onto set, it's it is still there. You can't. It's very difficult to move away from it completely because you I was gonna say, so you're, come you're, at it from a different... Yeah, and you're, and you're acting across from people who may ad-lib. Yeah, that's tricky. And if you're <laughs> acting in the scenes, so you've written, maybe you've written the whole dialogue. Obviously, <laughs> you know your part because you're going to say the words yeah. and then they go X, Y, Z. Uh-huh. Are you, how do you, how do you keep um, in the moment, as it were, as opposed to... Um, it's hard. It is, it is really hard because also... Yeah, because at that point, you know, a lot of for, in, in a lot of productions, writers aren't actually allowed on set that's for that I, for that reason. My, that's my understanding. Yeah. So I'm, as a writer, not really supposed to be there, but as an actor, I'm right there yeah, with the from. other actors, and I'm having to deal, yeah, dealing with the fact that you know certain actors they'll be. I have to say, so some of the actors, and I don't mean just in Killers Anonymous, but in in general, in my experience, some actors will say. I don't want to say that line. I don't think the character would do that. I'm not comfortable with that. And they will come at it from their point of view and from their, you know, what they want. And you have to respect that and, and listen so to it and moment, take it So less in the moment, you're prepared for that one, aren't you? Then, in right, sense. exactly. Yeah. Um, but what I love is when you work with actors who have the respect for the script that they signed up for and they mm. they... I will actually give Tim McKinney as a, as a as an example mm. of somebody who, whenever he thought maybe this might be better like this, or given the situation we're in now, let's could we adapt it to this? He would always always run it by me first, and I and ask if it was okay, and ask and I'm thinking. I can't believe that this guy is asking me if I'm okay with something. And, you know, most of the time I was like, oh, my God, yeah, of course. Do do what you want. But You're, um, you're not the first to say it. I spoke to a director that's worked with him, said exactly the same thing. He is so... I mean, he's just a, such a... He's such a professional, but he's so... He's just got such a respect for everybody's 
parts i get mm. everybody it everybody's job and he, he gets it he understands he understands yeah. and i think there's also a thing is if an actor's taken on that job because they liked the script which we did hear quite a lot with with certain members of the cast is that the script really appealed to them i think then you know why do you want to come in and change it but you you know some actors do want to do that some don't but yeah a lot of having to bite your tongue happens so so before we get on to your own performance Mm. what do you think can you think of specific moments in the film where your words are being brought to life by the actor oh my god yeah and you're going my god you i I never imagined it like that there was a real i really remember the moment actually it was gary oldman Mm -hmm. and he has a scene at the beginning with with jessica alba the pub scene. The pub scene, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was both of them, to be honest. It was, you know, seeing seeing both of them deliver these lines mm. in that that I'd written or co you know co written, and I was sat. I wasn't acting that day, um, but I was like, I am coming to set today because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. doing this scene, and it was a really dialogue heavy scene. I think it's, it's like a game of tennis, wasn't it? Right, exactly, and it is back and forth, back and forth, and the two of them just it's. It's intense. Mm. It's for an actor as well. They were both delivering it down the barrel, which I know, you know, as an actor, that's a really uncomfortable thing to do. It goes mm. against what you're what you're taught yeah, not yeah. to do. Don't look at the lens. But the whole thing's delivered down the lens anyway. So, I was sitting in the pub. I was just sat on a bar stool watching watching the whole scene play out and yeah. seeing. I think it was actually more seeing him go over his lines before before um, action. It was who you know. I can see him with the script in his hand and he's going and he's trying it in different ways mm. and I thought oh my god he's doing that with with my words and it was that was a definitely a moment and the other one was him and Suki Waterhouse have a scene on um, a rooftop and there's they're discussing she's discussing her urges her urges to kill somebody and it was brought on by um the sensation of cutting up a chicken Mm. And the knife sticking into the bone, and it's quite a comical scene between. Is quite... that the one where she superimposes if yeah. she's sat next to it? Yeah, exactly. Out of interest, is that how's that written on the page, or was that a director? that was that wasn't written on the page? That was um, that was a director a, a directorial decision. Okay. At the time as well, I think it was you know yeah an artistic choice, but that was and I, so I was surprised to see that as well yeah. coming to set that day. Oh, that you're doing it like that. You know, so as a writer, you do have there's there's a lot of that as well. Where you think, oh, I didn't actually even see this, it like we that. We kind of had the setup; these two people are talking on the phone, but then to yeah. just have her there yeah. was a really interesting stylistic yeah. choice from Martin. I thought. Yeah, yeah, and um, no, and I, and I thought the same. There's you know things like that as mm. a writer are out of your hands, and it's that's that's then up to the director, who of course is a writer on it as well. So it's you know he <laughs> he has the say. He has the say. Yeah. Now I've held back long enough now. Yeah. Um, you have to tell me what it was like to kick Jessica Alba's ass. <laughs> well, it's not a question I get well, to ask many people. No, and it's um, it's <coughs> a question I feel like I'll probably be answering for a long time. But it is um, that day. It was two days actually mm-hmm. that I had with her in a strip club, handcuffed to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. That in itself, I remember thinking. Oh my god, I'm I'm I am going to be handcuffed to Jessica Alba for two days. Wow! And actually, the first I think it was the first day that we were doing it. I remember we were the World Cup was on, England were playing, mm-hmm. and it was just me and Jessica Alba in a strip club with England playing on the World Cup, and everyone was just in 
the best mood. <laughs> it was just like spirits were high. And um but we had the job to do, so the football had to be turned off. And um it was incredible actually. She was so easy to work with. Mm-hmm. And to be completely honest, of course I was nervous to even meet her, I have to say, you know, being being starstruck is something that, you know, working in this industry you have to get over. Yeah. But she is somebody who she's an A-lister and she is so famous yeah. that and her face is so recognizable and so beautiful that she came into the makeup trailer and I was sat there and I had a blonde wig on because she uh it, the scene where I fight with her and wearing a blonde wig and she walked in and I did get a bit starstruck I thought oh my god what what, what the hell do I say what I didn't know what to do with myself yeah. and she said oh you're Elizabeth oh you've got lots of red hair under that wig haven't you I was like, oh, my God, she knows who I am. She knew. And it was from, but from then on, and then she said that she had a, one of her, her daughter, Haven, has red hair. And then we were talking about that. So I instantly yeah. felt really comfortable with her. She just was, she was so She went normal chatty. on you. She went she normal. Went normal. <laughs> she went completely normal. And then throughout the process as well, she was very, you know, when there's, when you've got an A-lister on set, they, they do, they are treated in a certain way, of, of course. course. Mm-hmm. Um but that throughout those couple of days that we were working together, we were doing the exact same job. You know, we were both in makeup together. We go to set together. We do the job together. We'd finished at the same time. Mm. Um, but she was really adamant that I should have ev- all the same things that, that she had. For instance, her green room. She said, is Elizabeth the same as mine? I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm in the stripper's locker, in the stripper's locker room. They've chucked me an apple and been like, right, there you go. But, it, but you know, that's, that's the thing as well. When you're so, when you work so closely on the production, you go, right, cost wise, if that's going to end up costing production X amount for me to have the same green room as Jess Crowber, which I'm, it's not going to happen anyway, yeah. then no. But she was very, very aware of her. She was aware of her status on set, I think, mm-hmm. but never, from my in my opinion, never. But not entitled by it, is it? Really exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, how, with with a scene like that, which obviously is very physical, mm. what you you obviously work with coordinators, yeah. and, there's a, and there's a whole kind of yeah. choreography that goes into mm-hmm. it. How long does the bit take, and what's involved with before you even step in front of the camera? So before, so I think Jessica arrived the day before we were shooting it, so I'd had a week beforehand mm-hmm. to learn the choreography, it is, it is choreography, um, with um, this this amazing team of, of women. Um, Abby Collins was a stunt coordinator, and she's this glamorous woman. She turns up and you think, whoa you know she's so she's so glamorous and pristine but she's an absolute badass and Mm. she's just like get so she's got me I had a stunt double so did Jessica and we had so we were I worked with both of them sort of going I'd do my part and then Jessica's part and sort of learn the whole thing and that was for about a week I think leading up to when Jessica arrived. So you've got stunt doubles. So in a yeah. sense, when, you, when you're looking at the fight on the page or looking at the storyboarded fight that, that mm-hmm. Martin's decided to do, yeah. where's the line drawn then between what Elizabeth Morris, the actor, can do and what the stunt double has to step in for? There's, I was desperate to fly off the table. <laughs> so I, lo- I love any, anything that stunts. I really enjoy giving it a go. Yeah. But there's certain things 
I mean for insurance purposes and it and for genuine safety reasons I I was not allowed and neither was Jessica we were not allowed to jump off to fly through a table there's yeah there's a scene where both of us go crashing through this table and I was really up for it but it's like we you you can't you, mm. you're not allowed you you could shatter your shoulder um or break your face uh and there's there's another bit going you know flying through a window there's certain things like that that absolutely have to be done by by the stunts and the thing what I will say is I don't think it was quite it's quite commonly known that um stunts don't get enough recognition for what for what they do mm. they are I mean the the physical what they put themselves through physically and the risk that they take and they're they're incredibly well trained so the the likelihood of an injury is 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 slim um but they are so talented and they were just so lovely to work with they were brilliant and throughout that scene as well Jessica and I are assembling a this gun so there's all that that all goes into it as well you know learning how to how to assemble a machine gun <laughs> is that is that a skill you're going to take forward into life? Then? Absolutely, absolutely, and a butterfly knife as well. I've learned exactly how to manoeuvre a butterfly knife. I think, just thinking of giving the stunt guys their recognition. Then, so how? <clears throat> excuse me. How how does how is it balanced between there's so you you know what the line is you know what the line's drawn yeah so how do you act to the point where you're not allowed to fall on a table mm-hmm. and then they replicate the bit. Yeah, so, so you can. So you would when do... I watch it, I don't see you in a stunt. Room, no, I see you fall on a table. Aha, that's camera angles and clever editing. But and you, but you have to do the whole sequence. So I would do the whole sequence, or you know, bit by bit, Got you. chunk by chunk. I would do it with Jessica's stunt double. Mm-hmm. Jessica would do it with my stunt double, and then there were certain bits that we were that Jessica and I would both. Then we both do it mm-hmm. together up until a point where we weren't allowed or, you know, that shot's not going to sell because da-da-da. And then the two stunt doubles would do, would do it together as well. And then you have all of that footage, take it into the edit, and you cut between it so that you can't tell. No, it's um, clever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was fascinated. In a world where we've got killers meeting up to uh, swap stories and promise not to do it, and it's been X days since I last killed, uh, Mayanna Burns' character, Joanna, mm. wearing the vicar's dog collar, Mm-hmm. Is that a disguise or is she a killing? Is she? A ki- I never quite worked it out. I don't. I know she took it off at some point, but I, I, the way she what? was, the persona she embodied, made me think of her like as a like a vicar of Dibley type. Yeah, nah, she's not a vicar. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> That's her top disguise then for uh, yeah. for kills. Yeah, hiding in plain sight. Yeah, and it never it never crossed my mind before. And it, it made me think of um, of like secret service agents and stuff where everyone is begatting everybody mm-hmm. and I think you do that lovely in the way that nobody can trust anyone no everyone is open to the highest bidder I guess yeah and then to find nobody knows what the truth is in, yeah. a, in a room full of people who know just one piece yeah. of the jigsaw mm-hmm. how, how how did um how did you find how did you find that in the uh, for, for each character it's almost like each character has to have finite amount of information yeah. not enough to know what's going on all the that's time. really true that's where it becomes the mathematical equation that's the bit in the writing process that probably takes the longest where yeah. you think no, no no you have to keep going back and keep going back no they don't know that you know they do know that and it, it's sort of you almost have to start at the end mm. and work backwards with what do they find out at the end 
what do we reveal that they know throughout and where do we start with them if that mm. if that makes sense and that's where it becomes that really sort of intricate mathematical equation but in terms of the them sort of all being you know hiding in plain sight or being these they're almost a bunch of average joes i guess off the street that you wouldn't necessarily expect but where when going back to the initial idea of of the concept in la slasher they were very much your kind of obvious serial killer types because it was that type of film you know you've got the the lady sniffing the petrol can and you've got someone in like a mental mental hospital uniform that you know that kind of really cliche Mm. thing but that's where we wanted to take it more into you know these are your average people that you could pick off the street put them all in a room and they're actually these extraordinary professional contract killers so yeah now one of the things i remember listening to an interview with jeremy saunier talking about green room Mm. and a lot of that film takes place literally in the green room of a of a music venue so Mm -hmm. there's five or six of them talking to somebody else on the other side of the door. Now, there's a similar kind of constraint on, yeah. on Kills Nonsense in the sense that, for a large part, people are in the same room together. Yeah. For, for you as an actor and for the other actors, obviously at certain points you're the one talking, mm. everyone else is present. Yeah. How much, how much of getting that coverage is about you all being there but never being seen? Or how much of it is just, um, we shoot Elizabeth because it's her turn to talk, everyone else go and have a coffee? We spent a lot of time sitting there and not being seen that we spent there was I think it became kind of a what's the word I'm looking for almost like an etiquette that the actors stay in the room when someone else is doing that yeah somebody yeah for real sight lines right exactly yeah um you don't have to do that as an actor you're not necessarily obliged and it is essentially I guess down to the director but as a group, as an ensemble, it did become sort of set etiquette to stay when... and Because there's a, there's a few of the characters do these really intense monologues, again, down the barrel. Mm-hmm. And even though it's down the barrel, still having that, fe- having that physical feeling of everybody around you, and it, it just sort of adds to a performance, I think. And it's for the sake of the actors going off and having a coffee or having a cigarette or going and, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's it adds a lot, I think, for for the actors to stay in. But yeah, for sure, there was there's a lot of times when I mean, for for a lot of it, we so we're sat in a circle. The majority of the time, the camera was actually in the middle of of that circle. We we're actually probably a lot further away from one another than than it would appear oh, on okay. on the camera. Um, but yeah, we there was yeah hours and hours spent where was the studio you were shooting ealing ealing studios yeah that's so that's where the majority of it was and it was yeah so a set building side there now it's quite it's it's quite stylistic the uh the the sort of tone of the film Mm. you know kind of you know tarantino and 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 guy Ritchie type type banter yeah um given that and given there's so many of you sort of acting together Mm. who was the uh who was the worst for corpsing (laughs) <laughs> and, and causing mischief for each oh other. Oh, my God. I'm going to go... So, Elliot and Tommy Flanagan, yeah. the pair of them, were they were sat together, and they struck up this friendship. Like, I've, I've never seen a bromance like it before in my life. And the two of them, they were so funny. They would do a lot of ad-libbing together. And, you know, Martin had okayed it. You know, there were certain things where mm. they'd say, you know, we're going we're gonna to ad-lib this, and they'd go for it, and just every, every time just take it too far. And it was just, it was brilliant. It was, again, it was really fun for the rest of, for the rest of us to kind of witness it. And 
they're both such talented actors that it became like a piece of theatre every time they did it and we'd all be completely transfixed. But um, it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard as well because as a team, as a group, you all become really close with one another. You form your own friendships, your own relationships. And um, I became really good friends with um, Ryan Brown, who plays Alice, and the, the two of us just sort of became inseparable over those few months. And it would be, yeah, you know, we were sat directly opposite each other in the circle so there's times when you can't catch each other's eye because you're just burst (laughs) (laughs) burst out laughing you know and it's um but that makes for a really enjoyable experience as well when you are in that sort of situation because it was very it did get claustrophobic and it got you know we were all in there all the time I, i must admit i thought it sort of brought out the best in tommy flanagan in some senses he he no matter even when he was joking he looks like he's going to kick your head in. Yeah. It's quite an amazing feat. He, car- yeah. he can carry that. He carried that yeah. character. Yeah. And then his intonation with the the strong. I guess he yeah. doesn't often get to with the American stuff he does. He doesn't For get sure. to play the strong Scottish accent, which yeah. obviously is his natural thing. Yeah. And, and it really felt and threatening. It's, it's so funny because in in person he's such a gentle giant. He's like bet, he was yeah. sort of like the the dad on set, and he, you know, but yeah, he just yeah he has that face where you just think, oh, I don't want to piss him off. <laughs> now, now, what, 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 what? One last thing to get because obviously with um, with killers it was and it was a it was a mi- good mix of like genders mm. in it, but there's definitely a kind of um, a sort of girl power. Oh yeah. Sort of over the hill and far away where we head for, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. The men are a bit daft in the end, aren't they? They are. They don't see it coming. No, they do not. We won't spoil it, but no. Nope. But there's definitely. Uh, it's yeah. Power to the women. For sure. <laughs> which is a, which is a, which is a rare thing to see. Certainly, it is. It's, films def- about it's definitely yeah, but it's definitely <laughs> becoming. Um, it's I'd say it's snowballing at a fairly rapid rate. The mm. the not just female led cast, but in terms of the want for female writers, female producers, female directors, it, it's sort of I'm I've really noticed a massive shift in the last. Even in the last year, mm. more and more, I've I'm being asked to write something because first and foremost I'm female, and then it's then it's the 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 subject matter is you know a lot of it's it's becoming a real draw, um, and it's it's great you know it's I think the pendulum's going to swing that way, maybe a bit more. Um, it's got a long way to go. Yeah, don't it worry. has got a massive massively long way to go, but then I think it will settle and it will just sort of become. I hope it will settle and it just mm. does it. The best thing would be for all of this to just not even be a thing. No, and I think I think we live we, we've lived through an age mm. of people arguing mm. that audiences won't go and watch a female lead, lead in an action film, which yeah. is palpably absolute poppycock. Yeah, you know, Wonder, it is. Wonder Woman didn't do too bad, did it? No, as as a movie. No, and it's not like you go right. You've had your film now, women. Yeah, Atomic Blonde. <laughs> yeah. Badass. I mean, yeah. This the the next script that I'm I'm developing at the moment mm-hmm. is very female led. It's just it's female, female, female. Got a female producer attached, and it was it didn't it wasn't necessarily because like a no boys allowed club. It just organically was that, and and is that, and it's. But what's nice is that there hasn't at any point in the process so far been we can't achieve this because we're all women. Yeah, Do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? That yeah, yeah. We haven't felt that, whereas 
maybe even a few years ago, that might have been Got you. a problem or something that we had to consider. Whereas now, I, I, it doesn't feel that way. Well, look, let's remind people then, when and when, when and where can they, how can they see Killers Anonymous? So Killers Anonymous is available on all major VOD platforms, mm-hmm. including iTunes, Sky Virgin, Amazon, I believe. That might need to be a double check. But yeah, most major VOD platforms. And other films that you've, you've, uh, you've had a hand in? Yeah. What, what else can we see um, of yours so out there? So there is Let's Be Evil mm-hmm. and LA Slasher or the UK title for that is Abducted. Okay. Which I don't like. But <laughs> there we go. Them's, them's the marketing people. I know, I know. Like, what? Um, and the next film that I'm working on is We're All a Bit Like Lily, and that is in the development process at the moment, so I'm very excited about that one. Well, look, well good luck with that, and hopefully thank we you. can get you back to talk about that when the yeah. time's right. Yeah, for sure. And just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time to Britflix Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.